Alrighty, you guys. Let's get back to our seats. Hey, can someone shut the back door? All right, thank you. The back door was wide open. Well, guys, before we uh, get into the message, I do think a slight confession, confession and clarification may be in order, uh, just for some contextual uh, detail. Um, it may seem odd to you because of my profession. Is uh, I'm not really all that into like church things or churchy things. And what I mean by that is like I'm around people sometimes that like just really love symbolism and I don't know, like church architecture and stuff like that. And I'm not down on that. I'm like, I'm really glad there are people that care about these kind of things. I'm just not among them. You know what I mean? Or like church history. Like, I just love reading about the history of the church. I'm like, oh, well, good. You know, I don't. You know, I'm not like against it. I just, I'm not drawn to it. It would feel like homework to me, you know. And in that regard, like, there's lots of things that happen in the church, you know, uh, especially the old-fashioned church that kind of just categorically don't interest me. Again, even though I think they're good or whatever, and I'm glad other people care about it. It's just for me personally, it's not really a thing. Um, which would include the types of things like a church calendar or something like Advent. So you might be like, well, then why are we doing it? You know, it's a good question. Um, Advent is a time before Christmas, as we talked about. A little backstory, I did a little bit of this last week. It's a time before Christmas that is designed in the church calendar, which was put together hundreds of years ago by smart people to take through the whole story of the Bible and all that kind of thing. And this season, particularly, is designed to focus on the second coming of Jesus. And because of that, I think it's worthwhile to walk through as a church going into Christmas. We may not do it every year. Um, I think there's a lot of value in it. And taking the time to go through uh, the candles and all this kind of thing, um, it's also a neat thing to do with everybody else because, like, because it's a church calendar thing, there's like millions of Christian people that are kind of praying and reading the same things we are. Now, every church, this is the funny thing about church history, <laughs> is everybody doesn't agree. You know, like, well, it's like, well, in my church growing up, we had red candles. And it's like, well, that's because you were this. And it's like, in my church, we had blue candles. And like, well, that's because you were that. And like, well, we didn't call it. It's like, it does, you know, point being, though, there's this idea that's happening. And taking part in it, us linking arms with everybody else is a good idea that we all think together about, you know, it's a good thing that we reflect on the fact that Jesus is coming back. And it's a good thing that we reflect on the second part of that, like our desperation without it. And I'll get into that in a second. But if this is a new thing for you, um, it's, it's good. It's good for it to, you know, the reason we're doing it isn't because it's, you know, uh, it's not anything weird. I guess I'll just say that. Let me pray. And then we're going to go through this. So, Father, I pray that you would bless this time, this message, this word, this word about peace. We want to receive that peace that you give to us and, and be uh, um, transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it's like I said, Advent is a season before Christmas which I didn't know because growing up I thought it was like a Christmas thing. It's technically supposed to be before Christmas, and then Christmas starts, you know, December 25th. And it's designed 
to have us contemplate our condition without God, you know, like from an eternal perspective, from an every perspective, how are you doing without God in your life? Answer, not great, you know, and even worse. And now we're going through, we're going through these candles and like the first one is hope and then peace and joy and love, I think, you know, and th that's actually kind of like the modern themes I didn't know this, but in reading, the original themes for each week were these. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. With hell being the last one on purpose. To design you to contemplate your, your condition, your situation, your life without God. Or the world without God. It's good to remind ourselves that when, you know, when we're in a place of comfort or in a place of uh, not hell, uh, you can forget the fact that it's only God that's keeping things together. You see what I'm saying? And it's a good time to stop and think and realize, oh, gosh, you know. And or a situation is described like this. We're in a place as a people, as an individual, as a group, as humanity, as a universe that will either lead to doom or deliverance. And this is just reality. We kind of keep it away because it's too scary. It comes to us quickly. You encounter this in stories that you hear from people that are in a war situation, you know what I mean? Or a war-torn situation. You know, the realities of life and the desperation of life are in their face, you know, and you see people that are, you know, some of the stories you can read in, Horrible. It's not the kind of things you want to read, but they're horrible things. Like if you read Night by Eli Wiesel um, about his time in the concentration camps in World War II and stuff like that, and the kind of desperation that you get to um, at the end of yourself. You know, we like to maintain the illusion, I got this. I got this. You know, I, I can handle my situation. I'll take care of myself. I can take care of my business. And in a way, like, I don't need God to do that. I'll do this. You do that. This kind of thing. You know what I mean? And we can take that to such a far degree that we're actually, you know, um, I heard somebody say, if we, <laughs> if we were, gosh, how did they say it exactly? More eloquently than what I'm about to butcher. But it was something like, if we were put on trial for our Christian faith, would there be uh, enough evidence to convict us? You know, because it's like so many of us live the same exact lives as everybody else around us who claim no faith in God at all. We believe the exact same things. We live by the exact same rules. And in fact, we're not living as Christian people. We need the deliverer to deliver us. And that's the situation we're in. And the, and the story of Advent, and I say story because we need to see these things as a story. The Bible's written a lot as stories, and it helps to analyze them not from a scientific, like, let me distill this down to its basic elements, and then from that derive. And that's important type, you know. When Kevin did his Bible class, that would be uh, the, uh, well, anyway, I don't get you need to see that part of it, but you also need to see the storyline part of it. And the story of Advent is talking about three different agencies that are happening at the same time, uh, or three different actors in this story. God, obvious to us, and then us, 
obvious to us. But another main character in this one is the devil and evil in this world. And which is not a shock to us that there's evil in this world. But oftentimes we kind of, in our modern mind, delete that category from our thought process of what's active here. And this is exactly what you're supposed to encounter with this, is the amount of evil that's in the world, the amount of evil that's around us, the amount of evil we encounter, the amount of evil we see in other people, the amount of evil that's in ourselves, and that we need to be delivered from. And so here we are at this week's candle of peace. We're not doing judgment today, unless like they would have a thousand years ago, we're doing peace. And I was praying because Kevin had said he felt like God was saying to use, and we will at the end of this service, read through Psalm 23 together as a group. And it's kind of a guide, you know, Advent. I was thinking Advent, revival, and praying for, you know, the Lord to come, like our name of our church and all this kind of stuff. I mean, Kevin was like, yes, and I think also Psalm 23, like the good shepherd and all this kind of stuff. And so I was praying through Psalm 23 a little bit this week in light of this peace thing. And the verse that stuck out to me, is that even though, or the part that stuck out to me is even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So you have peace, and you have the shadow of death, and the valley of the shadow of death. And what I want to talk to you about today is kind of that even though peace. Because how many of you know you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? How, some of you are there right now, like right now. Some of you have just come out of it, and some of you are going to go through it. We all are going to go through it. And then this is the weirdest thing, is that following Jesus, he offers this peace that he's talking about. But it is in the same time that we encounter suffering in this world. It's peace through the suffering. And then suffering sometimes in this world increases when we follow Jesus. And he actually promised that that would happen. That's weird. You know? And, but he promises this peace the whole time. So it's this together thing that happens. And last week I recommended a whole bunch of books. And uh, I, I decided to add more to the list because I thought we needed... So the, I'll just go through them really quick. Last week I recommended first a book by Mark Sayers, which I think everybody should read. If, when we're talking about... Um, Advent is the beginning of the, the new age has come into the old age. Jesus has come into this fallen world and it's, he's inaugurated a kingdom that will eventually be fully realized and we're stuck in between right now. And Mark Sayers wrote a book about how our, our world is kind of stuck in between two phases of life he wasn't being as eschatological as this, but it's making the point of how, as a church, go ahead and put this up, Non-Anxious Presence. This book is about how to exist as a church in times like these when everybody's freaking out. And you can tell from the title, his solution isn't freak out like everybody else. You know, He's like, guys, we have the peace that passes understanding. You don't have to worry about it. I put a link to all of these on our website. It says, Advent Reading List for Those So Inclined. So another book I talked about, when we talk about peace, uh, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, where he talked about in his life how he realized this life of hurry and rushing and always feeling everything, this, this crazy pressure he was living was mostly self-inflicted and had nothing to do with the life that Jesus was calling him to do. And he just stopped. And it wasn't easy. 
And frankly, the advice he gives in this book, you probably won't like most of it, but from a spiritual perspective, is extremely healthy. I highly recommend it. But I wanted to add, or I also had this other book, um, Advent by Fleming Rutledge, which is just really deep about this whole subject matter. She's extremely awesome. And I'll quote her a couple times. But I wanted to add more books, because why not, you know? The, uh, <laughs> when we're talking about suffering, I ran into this book, which I'd never heard of until just now. Suffering is never for nothing. And the author of this book is Elizabeth Elliot. Do you know who that is? That's Jim Elliot's wife, the missionary who is killed, you know, in Ecuador. This is one of the best books I've read in a while, and it's short. But she describes suffering. She said, I don't know if there's a real definition. I just, here's the definition I use. What she said is, having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. And she goes through at length in this book talking about how God uses suffering in our lives and is with us in suffering in our lives and talks way more about it than we'll talk about it today. But the piece that she lays out is not just escaping suffering, but it's the peace of God with us in it. That's the true victory that overcomes the world kind of stuff. Okay? And it's deep. This book is deep. <laughs> I was like, man, I, this one's going to be in form and fire next year. So if you don't get to it right now, this is going to probably be the first book. So I'm just saying that right now. But, um, and I wanted to add one other one just for the sake of uh, why not, you know. Um, this book is called Not Afraid of the Antichrist. And when we are talking about, and we will in the next couple of weeks, talk more and more about end times, actual end times, end of the age end times, these kind of things can bring fear not peace into a lot of people's hearts. And it's a lot of because of how they're taught and some of the subjects that people focus on. And it's just this right here, Not Afraid of the Antichrist by Michael Brown and Craig Keener, great people to learn from, um, discusses a proper and healthy, healthy Christian approach to end times in general. And it specifically is addressing you about what we call a pre-tribulation rapture and how that's not really a biblical concept, but it's been used to... Uh, Cause a lot of fear and anxiety in a lot of people, including believers, and especially believers, and that's really what they're writing about here. So, but today we're going to be talking about peace and suffering, because we live in an already and not yet aspect of the, the world. We are um, people who know the truth about the coming age, to, the age to come. Where God will, Christ will be all in all, and things will be made right, and we'll read a piece of revelation here talks about it, but we also live in a world where evil still is in charge, or still doing things, still destroying things, and God is, has us here to be agents of good in this time, and living with the knowledge of what's to come, and that transforms exact, everything about how we approach life, but it certainly isn't easy. Fleming Rutledge said this in that book, the church lives, therefore, without fear, Faith that the cosmic change of regime has already been accomplished. So we know that what Jesus has done on the cross has in a way ended the rule and reign of Satan. He has the keys back, you see. But it's, it's still playing itself out to the end. And the new regime has jumped in to this time frame, but it will end up in like the end of the book of Revelation where there's no more tears and crying and anything like that. And we're right in the middle to be representatives of that now, knowing that's the case. That's the mindset necessary to have the peace in suffering 
is required. And so today the readings were about John the Baptist, who in Advent time is kind of a perfect character to look at. I say character in that I want you to interact with this today as more of a story. He is a historical figure. He is a real person. You could meet him one day, this kind of thing. But he, uh, we need to see his role in relationship to our role, because we're kind of like John the Baptist now, that he was a, uh, he, uh, well, here's what she says again. He arrives to announce the open event of the end time. He's the herald of the age to come, just as prophesied in Malachi, which we read today. And he comes before Jesus is born to make a way for Jesus and everybody around and preaching the repentance and the coming of the kingdom of God and all this kind of stuff. And this is very much how we need to see ourselves. So we want to interact with this story. And there's going to be more about John the Baptist next week. So we are to be like John the Baptist in helping people get ready for Jesus' return. And in this way, 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12 says this, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So this looking forward to Jesus' return and speeding its coming. How exactly do we do that? And John the Baptist gives us a really good example by bearing witness of the truth of Jesus and waiting for his coming. Because Jesus is like, this guy's coming. He's coming. He's definitely coming. And then when Jesus comes, he still has to go, you're the guy, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I'm going to skip some of this stuff. I want to read this story. We read out of the second reading this morning is from Luke 1. And we read 68 to 79, which is the end where, his, where John the Baptist is born. And Zechariah, his father, prays this very hopeful prayer over Zechariah, or sorry, over John the Baptist of what he's going to do and what he's going to fulfill and how it's a fulfillment of all these promises that God had given that isn't how the story starts. So I want us to read, again, it's in Luke 1, Luke 1, and then the verses are 5 through 25, and it's decently long. So I'm um, going to have Dalton come up and read this today. But Luke 1, 5 through 25, and this is telling the story of how John the Baptist was born. And I think we're going to find some connection with this, keeping in mind peace and trusting God in strange times. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. 
and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amen. So earlier we read the words spoken by Zechariah, the birth of his son. And what happens is he does have the son, and, you know, his voice comes back. Gabriel came. Gabriel the angel. This is big deal stuff. Came to Zechariah. So Zechariah, he's a priest. He's doing his duty for God. And it's his turn to be in the temple to do the the duties and while he's in there an angel shows up ain't gabriel big dale name angel you know and tells him your prayers were heard now i'm just going to add some commentary i want you to see this as like a story that it's like our lives i suspect the man is not praying that prayer much anymore because there's a time in your life when there's an opportunity, and then, as he says, I'm old, and he's smart enough to not call his wife old, but he calls her advanced in years or something like that, which is called a euphemism. And, uh, but uh, I don't think he's been praying that prayer for a while. I think he prayed it before, and then he gave up hope. You know, it's just not going to happen. And I'm not even going to say he had a bad attitude about the thing, you know. But Zechariah says, your, pray, your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a son. And it's not just any son. It's like a big deal son, like the Malachi one. You know, the prophet, he's like Elijah. You know, Jesus calls him Elijah. Like, this is a big deal. Jesus says, like, this is the greatest guy that's ever been born, you know. So not only are you going to have a son, like, God heard your prayers. He heard them. He heard all of them. He's like, and you're going to have a son. And it's the one who's going to prepare the way for the king of the earth who's coming to be born. Now, I think it's very important. Now, in a story, like in a movie, you know, you can pay attention. They introduce people and things 
that you're supposed to care about and other things you're not supposed to care about. Or you need to know, you know, like, is this a good guy or a bad guy? You know what I mean? And they'll let the bad guy save a cat or something. Like, oh, he's a good guy. I need to know that. You know what I mean? There's tricks like that to let you know. There's one of those built into this. And it says this. Both of them, meaning Elizabeth and Zechariah, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Strange detail to include. Why do you think that's in there? Do you think, if I, in light of that, what I just read, they deserved their situation of not having a kid because of the bad things they had done? No. You see what I'm saying? There's another time when Jesus is asked, you know, why is this man blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? He's like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? It's like, that's not how this works. You know what I mean? You're living in a, you know, again, always contrasting the way the world works. It is the way the world works. It's evil, dark, and all this kind of thing. And then there's a way the kingdom of God works, which is not the same. And we are straddling both and being representatives of this one in this one, okay? Representatives of the kingdom of God in the kingdom of the world, which does work this way. So Jesus says, in that case, that's not how my kingdom works, guys. They put this detail in here so that you know, just like Job, they don't deserve this. Because there is suffering that happens in our lives because of bad things we've done. You know, when we're addicted to things like drugs, they cost a lot of money, and we use all our money, and then we don't have money. This thing happens, you know what I mean? And I'm not being down on that. I'm just saying that that kind of financial suffering is brought on by sin in our lives. Or you have your marriage fall apart because you've given into adulterous things or something like that. You see what I'm saying? That kind of suffering isn't exactly what we're really talking about, but it would still even fit in this category. The point that they're trying to make here is they didn't do that. It's not like they earned it. They didn't deserve any of this. It just happened. Okay? But here's another interesting thing. They didn't deserve this bad situation. But they also didn't deserve this good news. It's out of nowhere. And if you paid attention also in the story, they cast lots for the guy to go in. It wasn't like you're the third week guy. It's like, let's see. He was chosen by lot. That means kind of like a version of like rock, paper, scissors or something like that, you know. Or just they had ways they did it. But it was just chance. Like who's going to do it? All right, you are. You know, that kind of thing. There's not a lot of thought involved is what I'm trying to say, you know. And um, so you just happen to be the guy in there. And God happens like, hey, you know, I'm going to send the big deal angel to tell you news that changes your entire life, everything. And I've heard all your prayers. This is great news. Great news. Good news always changes the bad situation. I mean, this is amazing, right? And, of course, Zechariah thought, that's awesome, and I believe every word you just said. That's how he interacted with the good news about God, right? The good news of Jesus. I mean, this is a good news. This is the beginning of the whole Jesus thing. This is, you know your scriptures way better than we do. You know, he knew Malachi in his head. Like, oh, whoa. Like, I'm, what? You know, and it was like, what, what an honor. What an honor to be a part. Like, I'm so excited about all the hope, and this puts so much hope into my life about all these changes. You know, everything that you're talking about, you know, all this stuff. You know, of course I believe it. That's not what he says. He says, <laughs> look, dude, <laughs> I've had some bad things happen in my life. I've been up, you know, I've had some, we thought we were pregnant a few times. You see what I'm saying? 
how am I sure this is going to happen? Like, I know you look big and impressive and everything. I mean, it actually kind of takes a lot of, like, you know, other people when angels show up are freaked out. This guy is like, okay, fine. Are you sure? You know what I mean? So kind of an intense man. Uh, fear not usually is the first thing people, angels say because people are afraid, you know. This guy's like, yeah, okay, nice, nice words and all. How am I sure this is going to happen, right? And I kind of say, we can stand back and Monday morning quarterback the thing and be like, dude, you're in the temple and this is an angel talking to you. Maybe you should listen, you know. But how often do we do the exact same thing? We assume from a distance that the good news of Jesus and who Jesus is will always make everything feel better. It does make everything better, ultimately. Like, that's a correct thing. But this, we kind of imagine that everyone will just like that, you know, and then this whole, you know, that kind of thing. But in reality, when God is the actor and he's doing what he's did, he could have asked him a hundred questions right then, you know. You think it's, and he does, and then what he says, very, this is built into his question is, you know, how can I be sure this is going to happen? But not just because I've gotten my hopes up before. He has a very good reason to doubt it. He's like, you missed the boat. You know, like, I'm old now. And so, and so like, you know, it's not going to work. You know. So is he thinking, you know, again, this is the Monday morning quarterback thing. It's like, you know, you could go, again, dude, angel, God, whole thing, like, don't need, you know. This happened to Abraham, you know, like you can, God's going to work it out. When God does this kind of stuff in our lives, we're always like, yeah, but that's not going to work because I don't have the anything, you know. Jesus is like, feed them. And they're like, feed the 5,000 people with nothing? That's a great idea. And he's like, well, what do you got? And they're like, well, we took this food from this kid, you know. <laughs> that's all we got, you know. <laughs> and he's like, that's enough, you know. And so you have this weird situation where God's like, I didn't ask you to do it. I just asked you to believe me. You know what I mean? Or, you know, I didn't, you know, whatever. I didn't ask you to do it on your own, okay, feeling. So Zechariah isn't just like how we are. It says, like, you know, I would have believed you if I was 20, but I'm not 20 now, you know. And the angel says back to him, it's cool. You know, it'll still happen. You know, he doesn't say that. I think part of what's in this is, I'm kind of picking fun at things. Part of the reason Zechariah has a hard time is based on his own, his view of himself and his own limitations. It's not possible anymore for this thing to happen that you told me. But the other thing is, it's a little, it's a little bigger than that, that what you're telling me is too good to be true. So I can't believe it because it's too good to be true. You know, so not only is he saying, I think he could say, I'm old. I don't have the things to make this happen anymore, like you're saying. He could also say, who am I anyway for that to happen? And I think all of these are valid questions to include in this because in you on your own time, you should go read the next section of this, which is where an angel shows up to Mary to tell her, Jesus, you're going to have a son. And she doesn't respond exactly the same way. And the, she actually says, let it be, like, she's not exactly super pumped about it, you know, she's kind of afraid, like, whoa, this is serious, but she asks some follow-up questions, you know, I've not, I've not been married, how is this going to 
happened. And he's like, God will take care of that. She's like, okay, cool. Let it be according to what you said. It's a different exchange than what he has here. He's like, come on. Like, I can't do this, you know. And she does say in that, as part of this, like, who am I? She's like, who am I that you would even do this? He's like, I'm God and I do what I want. And that's true for every single one of us. And then Zechariah uh, is not allowed to speak. He's not able to speak until his son is born. And I think uh, when he like writes, they're like, well, do you sure you want to name him this? And he writes something, his name is John. And then he could talk again. You know, it's like finally a statement of faith there. You know what I mean? And... Uh, So here's what I have about this, and then we'll close. So Justin, are you guys going to come on up here anytime? Doesn't you know? Sometimes it's hard to believe that the good news of Jesus is true. I want us to. We're going to look at John the Baptist more next week. Today, I want us to think about Zechariah and his fa his father, because I think. It's the situation we find ourselves in. We are knowers of the truth of the kingdom to come, but we are livers of, in the world of evil and darkness now. And the truth of who Jesus is runs against the grain of that, and at times makes the suffering in our life more than it would have been without it. And then in the meantime, he's like, yeah, my peace I give to you. Like, I'm not feeling it all. I don't, I don't, I'm not getting the, I didn't get the memo. I'm getting like the bad more than the good on this, you know. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And you're like, again, I'm not, you know, again, I said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Trying to make all that make sense, in my mind, it, it, it came back to this. The guy couldn't talk because he didn't believe it. And I think that's exactly where a lot of us find ourselves. We know the truth because it's been declared to us, but we don't actually believe it. And that keeps us silent, just like Zechariah. And there will be a moment when we say, his name is John, and boom, it'll open up, you know. But that's the moment when you actually live into the truth of the reality of the kingdom of God. And it's not to be down on the guy. It's in there for our own benefit. Because just like us, he struggles with the realities of the world because they are real. He was too old. He had gone through a lot of suffering. It wasn't his fault. None of it made sense. It wasn't like, well, if you hadn't done this, maybe you would have had time to have a kid. You got married too late. There's no details like that. He's like, you did everything right and everything didn't work out good. And then finally, God's like, I'm going to do it. And then you go, I can't believe you anymore. And it's silent. We live lives like this, where we're tormented by our views of ourselves, our situation in life, the cruelty that other people have done to us, all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus is saying, I am here to set the captives free, ultimately forever, but also right now. And we go, how can I be sure this is going to happen? Because I, I, uh, I don't have the material to make that happen. And, and he's like... I'm going to do it. That's what I was going to do the whole time. Remember, doom or deliverance. You're, the sum of your work will be doom. The sum of his work is deliverance. And all we have to do is receive it. But we don't believe it, so we're silent in face of the darkness of the world. What this is an invitation to is for us to truly believe it.
and then our mouths are open because it's transformational. Transformational in what way? It's realizing, like I said to this, the end of the age and the coming of Jesus is absolutely the best news in the entire world ever, except if you want to pretend like you're in charge. Then it's the worst news you could possibly get because you're not going to be in charge anymore. I got this. I got this. I can handle my business. Like that's then this is some really bad news for you. Cuz not only can you not, but you're going to not be able to anymore. You see what I'm saying? And the the Christian life is living that way now. I don't have it all and I can't do it, but he can do it through me and he is in me even when I'm suffering. So it's it's realizing it's not up to us. And this idea that peace that passes understanding <laughs> that Jesus like this says literally peace that passes understanding and we go can i understand that it's like no like it's it's literally baked into the definition peace that passes understanding yeah how can i be sure this is like again you don't you can't get it it's it has to be transformed and put inside of you and this peace that passes understanding passing understanding again what does passing understanding mean peace when you shouldn't have it according to the world because we're grabbing from over here I can have peace knowing this is the ultimate truth in spite of everything I'm going through right now, okay? This is the you know the only way to have that. This is called trust. Which is like say his name is John, you know, that moment. And uh this other thing that stuck with me, you know, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, will not fear for thou art with me Christ within Christ in us the hope of glory this idea Jesus comes to live inside us now so when we're suffering where is he right there and the bible also makes it very clear that what Jesus has done on the cross um absolutely shows he is very familiar with suffering he didn't come to you know float around and somebody said be god all over the place here's another quote here the sphere jesus saying my in johnny to my kingdom is not of this world remember he's before pilate and all this kind of stuff and this is some commentary on that the sphere of power belonging to god who created the universe out of nothing has invaded the sphere of the enemy and in the most inconceivable way possible which would be the willed self-suffering of God the son to human wickedness in his death on a cross that's how the kingdom of god has invaded the evil dark age we're part of very unexpected the self-willed suffering of god the son to human wickedness in his death on the cross therefore Far from escaping this world, the Christian disciple finds his or her vocation precisely here at the collision of the ages where the struggle of the enemy against God continues and making space for the conquering love of God for the world. That's like our job right there. I saw somebody liken it to this. There was a moment in uh, World War II, D-Day, where the Allies invaded um, northern France, and it was that moment and you can read about it the war the war in europe at that point was over as soon as they established that beachhead they're like 
you know, Russia was already doing its business on the on the Eastern Front, and you know, uh, all the other you know, the other allies were coming in now in the West. And as soon as they had that, the war was over. It was just a matter of time. But there were still a lot of people that died in the, in that gap. So D-Day happens in June, and then it takes a you know year and a half or however long I can't remember exactly for VE, VE Day to happen. That period of time didn't mean nothing. But the war was over, and the Germans knew, everybody knew it. That's why they did everything they could to stop it from happening, you know. Um, and so we're like the soldiers right now, we are like the guys in the Battle of the Bulge. Like, we know we're going to win, but there's still things for us to do right now. Two, as this says, I like this quote. Um, what did it say? Make making space for the conquering love of God in the world. Let me read this. Revelation 7, 16 to 17. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the ultimate end. And it's already happened. The D-Day, it's already happened. We just have to finish getting there. And God has things for us to do. And it's not time for us to be silent because we don't believe them. It's time for us to live in the peace that passes understanding that it comes from the fa true faith in Jesus Christ. Stand up with me. And we're going to read Psalm 23 as our close. I put this in, in the King James Version because I think it's kind of the most traditional. But we're going to close these Advent services or these these pre-Christmas services by reading this together. So read this with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Father, we know that this is true. This is your word. This is the truth of who we are. You are the good shepherd, and you will lead us to these, stre these streams of water, and you are with us in the valley of the shadow of death, and you do give us peace that passes understanding. And Father, I pray that we would be live into that peace, no matter what suffering or experience we are going through, and that we will be good sheep to you as our good shepherd, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's close singing this song. If you want to come down and pray, feel free to come pray. We've come to bring you glory and all the adoration for you deserve the highest praise yes we've come we've come to bring you glory and all the adoration for you deserve the highest praise with our hearts wide open and our
heady in some ways this subject matter is. And it's supposed to be. It's designed that way. It's intended that way. And it's supposed to wake us up to the realities of the spiritual situation we find ourselves in. But I do want to say um, God is wanting us to, as in that Second Peter passage, be like waiting and in, 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 in hastening his coming. And when we don't feel that way, there's something off. And this is a good time to kind of say, well, what is it? You know what I mean? Like, am I too caught up in, you know, whatever, the, the ways of this, all this kind of stuff, you know? Things come to my mind, but it's not worth sharing right now. But I, I do think, again, John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, which means in the way of just comfort. Everybody's peaceful when things are great. The peace that passes understanding doesn't make sense. That's the kind of peace he's giving to us. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If you feel troubled or you feel afraid, Jesus wants to deal with that. And he can. And he's the only one who can. And we are to be people that live speaking to you, take some time with it. Go read all of Luke 1. I skipped a lot of it. You know, read the rest. There's a story there. It's there on purpose. You know, Zechariah or Elizabeth visits Mary when their babies are still in the womb and they jump. It's a crazy story, you know. And maybe read one of those books. I put them on our website. You know, guys, like, the <laughs> I know I'm giving you a lot of homework, but I mean, check it out. You know, God wants to Take us through some things and get us out of some things is really what it is. Set us free. He's here to set us free. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, lift up his countenance towards you, and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you need prayer, come forward. We'll be up here for a while.